Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. I'm your host, Tavin Nasir, CEO of Tavin Nasir Leadership. Looking for a leadership speaker for your next virtual or in-person event? Then visit our website at tavinasir.com to learn more about the kinds of leadership insights I can share with your team and organization. And while you're there, don't forget to also check out my internationally acclaimed award-winning leadership blog. And with that, let's get to our guest for today's episode, Professor Sidney Finkelstein. When you have people that have uh, been successful that work for you, uh, they have a great story to tell. People love to hear that story. And... Um, uh, and the word starts to spread. And I've seen this in many, many companies already. When people start to get known as a super boss-like leader, uh, they they become talent magnets almost. Most of us have had the good fortune to work for bosses who were true leaders, people who were not only successful in their leadership role, but who created conditions that allowed us to be successful in our careers as well. But what makes these leaders so successful in not just achieving their goals, but in motivating us to do our best work as well. To help answer this question is my guest for this episode, Professor Sidney Finkelstein. Sidney is the Stephen Roth Professor of Management at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth College. He holds a master's degree from the London School of Economics and a PhD from Columbia University. Sidney has published 25 books and 90 articles, including the bestsellers, Why Smart Executives Fail, and his latest, Superbosses, How Exceptional Leaders Master the Flow of Talent, which is what I'll be talking about with Sydney today. Hi, Sydney. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. It's nice to talk to a fellow or at least a former Montrealer. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you, Tanvir. So, Sydney, I think a good place to start our conversation is with an explanation of the title of your book, as the term Superbosses is certainly a very evocative one. So what are super bosses and how did you come to identify this particular archetype of leader? Yeah, so a, a super boss is a, uh, there's a lot of ways to describe it, but it's fundamentally a leader that creates other leaders, which makes them unbelievable, uh, un unbelievably important leverage points in an organization. They're, they're people, bosses, leaders that see your potential often before you even see it yourself. And um, at the end of the day, when you start to look at their career and what they've done over time, you discover that they have generated and regenerated talent really on a continual basis. And, and as a result of that, they have uh, done even better for themselves. And so that's really what, what it is. And, and it came to me, um, you know, a number of years ago, I wrote, a, I wrote another book called Why Smart Executives Fail. And that book did, did well. And I ended up talking to a lot of people all over the world and giving lectures and, and consulting on this, on this topic. And uh, I kept getting the same question come up uh, time and time again. And the question was, you know, you know, why smart executives fail is about failure and learning from your mistakes. But what can we do to thrive and succeed into the long term? Some version of that question kept coming up. And I kind of thought I had covered it, but of course I didn't. And uh, it got me down a path of thinking about what, what really is the key to long-term success. And it quickly turned to talent and leadership and, um, and this recognition that actually there are these people, more than most realize, that have this track record of generating talent, helping other people get better. And then I, I came up with a name for him. It doesn't exist in the dictionary, actually. Uh, and I call them super bosses. That's where it came from. What I found fascinating about this archetype of leadership, Sydney, is how the people you've identified as super bosses are so different from one another. They're in different industries. They come from different ethnicities, social backgrounds and life experiences. 
And yet, as you illustrate in your book, they do share a critical set of traits that put together make them into these leaders who are not just successful in their role, but as you mentioned just now, they kind of act like a sort of leadership development feeding machine. In fact, you identify five traits these divergent leaders all share in common. So what are these five traits that make a leader a super boss? Well, you know, the first thing to say is, yeah, they really are uh, different. It was so interesting to to learn that, right? That there, there are these people in different uh, different walks of life that have this uh, this commonality in, uh, in in kind of how they uh, and how they think and 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 what they do and uh, and what they what they have in common is uh, a big part of it, of course, is the Superboss playbook that I know we'll talk about, which are kind of the day to day details of what they do. But in terms of personality. Uh, the things that are that are similar or common amongst them is uh, things like you know being very competitive. Uh, they love to they love to win. Uh, they're very high integrity uh, people. Um, maybe the, the the number one the number one thing um, is you know how fearless uh, they are. Um, just that they're not they're not afraid. Uh, they're not afraid of taking on uh, new challenges. They're not afraid of doing new things, and and they actually look at their careers and their jobs as uh, as someone who um, um, someone who's always trying to break some new ground. I, I think somewhere in the book I even call them almost like sharks in the sense that sharks are swimming, uh, always swimming, always looking, and and super boss leaders are always looking for something that they could do even even better and extend and expand. And so they have this fearlessness, this, uh, this confidence, uh, really, that is, uh, um, that, is so, uh, that, that is so central, is so important. And, and, and then I'd also add to that bundle of characteristics um, how imaginative or, or, or creative they are. And it turns out that creativity is a big component in what Superboss or, uh, leaders do in their organizations. And if you think about where, where we're at in the world today and as companies thinking about how to get through COVID in the post-COVID world, and, and a big part of it is, you know, the old rules are being thrown, thrown out the door and, and in a lot of industries. And so the ability to be imaginative and creative, it's going to be a competitive advantage, I think, for, uh, uh, for a lot of uh, for a lot of these people. So, uh, so yeah, they're imaginative and, and creative. And in the end of the day, they're, they're also, they are real, you know, they're, they're not, they're far from perfect. They're, they're authentic. Uh, they are who they are and they, they tell you who they are. And as a result, uh, you, you have to recognize that uh, they're going to have particular ways of doing things. And, and most of those ways are, are ways that will actually help you get better, but sometimes it could be challenging. Sydney, now that you've provided us with this clear picture of what characteristics make a leader a super boss, I'm sure there's a question many of our listeners have is that, can you learn to be a super boss or is this something that you're born with? And there's an encouraging point you make in your book where you write, the great secret of super bosses ultimately wasn't who they were, it was what they did. In other words, being a super boss is actually something we can all learn to become by changing what we focus on and what we do, right? Yeah, you know, it's a, it, this question about whether you're born a super boss or could learn how to be a super boss is, is kind of like a subset under a question of a question that is very, very common, right? Which is about leadership itself. Uh, are leaders made or born? And uh, my, my, my answer of, of, on this, I think, is very straightforward. There is no question that some people are born with certain skills and capabilities that others uh, don't have and that they have in turn a bunch of other things. And so some people are more naturally 
um, a more natural leader. Some people are more naturally super boss-like. Some people are more naturally creative for that matter. But does that mean that uh, if we... Um, uh, if we haven't been lucky enough to have a certain genetic pool or, or background that just makes us a natural, whatever, whatever this is, we're, uh, um, we, we've got to relegate ourselves to kind of the back row and just be a follower and not have an impact. And the answer is no, uh, anyone can, uh, anyone can up their game wherever, wherever you are as a leader in terms of being a super boss. Um, uh, I, I think you can, you can greatly, um, you can greatly enhance and increase that that position. Not everyone's going to become a Picasso, uh, but everyone can become much better at whatever it is they do. And of course, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a learner and I'm a teacher. And how could I not believe something like that, given uh, what I've decided to do with my own career, my own, my own life? But I found it to be the case uh, time and time again in... Um, uh, not just talking to people or doing the research, but you know, I've done a lot of workshops and, and consulting and speaking on this topic. And especially when you do the workshops, you really start to see how people go from, you know, having some good uh, skills as a, as a leader, but then they start uh, growing that and enhancing and extending their super boss uh, skill set. And, and you see it and they, and they report back to you. Uh, and they tell you, and they tell you what kind of impact it's had. So uh, there's actually not just kind of my 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 mindset about this, but you know we have a, we have empirical data about this that you really you really can become more super boss like in your leadership approach and your work as a boss. Yeah, I do agree with you because if you think of a lot of the characteristics you just mentioned of what defines someone being a super boss in terms of being imaginative, I know some people think that I'm not as imaginative as some other people, but I always tell people that the problem is, is we've kind of forgotten what we were like as kids where we were able to imagine all these fantastical worlds and so forth. And we just kind of didn't see value in it anymore as we got older and we kind of lost touch with it, but it's a muscle. We just need to exercise. And then your points about having a strong sense of integrity and being authentic about who you are, recognizing your own limitations. Again, this is something that a lot of us can do. We just need to increase our self-awareness about who we are and what we genuinely care about. Competitiveness. I think we're all competitive to one degree or another. Some people are a little bit more overt than others. And when you put all that together and when you start achieving successes, well, it's hard not to feel confident in your abilities. So in many ways, I'm just thinking people who are thinking, well, if it's learned, I'm trying to think of the traits that you just mentioned, Sydney, and I'm trying to think how much of those I really reflect. And I think a lot of them are ones that we can flex and grow. It's just a matter, to build on your point, of having those opportunities to learn and develop those skills and those understandings. Yeah, you know what? I think that's exactly uh, right, Tanvir. And what I would add to that is um, some of those characteristics, they're a combination of life experience, maybe some genetic things and all kinds of things, right? And so, yeah, they you, you could get better, I think, and, and develop those further. But when you get to the kind of the details of what super boss leaders do on a day-to-day basis, how they work with people, how they, how they motivate people, how they inspire people, those are uh, techniques, they're management techniques, leadership techniques. Uh, they're, they're things that are 100% learnable. I don't know that, you know, um, we, we can become, you know, uh, as a mat, just kind of what you said, as imaginative as, as some of the most creative people out there, we certainly could become more than we are. 
but it doesn't matter where you're starting, what you're starting at. The, the, this, the, these things that super boss leaders do that we learned that they do, that we discovered about them are very much uh, things that you can learn. And uh, the, I, I look at it and say, it's there for the taking. It, it's, it's kind of like an open secret. And the payoff is so huge, it's kind of remarkable when you come across someone who says, I'm not so sure about this. <laughs> so you actually give me the perfect segue to touch on something you mentioned just a few minutes ago, and that is something you referred to as the Superboss playbook. And in your Superboss playbook, one of the things you point out is that Superbosses are driven to hire people who get it. That is, these are people who demonstrate a unique form of intelligence, that they are highly creative and imaginative in their outlook, and that they are very flexible in being able to pivot to take on new tasks or roles. Now, if you ask any leader if they'd like to hire someone who is highly intelligent, creative, and capable of adapting to changes in their workflow, I'm pretty sure we can all agree that a majority of leaders would say that this is exactly the kind of employee they want in their team. And yet in this chapter of your book, you do expose an uncomfortable truth about most leaders, and that is that most leaders feel uncomfortable and even threatened by these types of people. And consequently, despite saying they want the best people, instead opt for that safer middle of the curve choice. So how are super bosses able to overcome this discomfort and fear that these highly capable employees will outshine you? How do we make sure that we can overcome that discomfort? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. And there are there are two answers to that question. Answer number one is super boss leaders are really driven to, to, to win, to be successful, to accomplish for themselves and for their organizations or their teams, uh, tremendous success. They're not interested in just kind of limping across the finish line to hit your KPIs. They want to blow, they want to blow through them. And they understand that to do that, you need to surround yourself with great talent and help that great talent get better and better and better. And so there's this kind of natural alignment with their own goals and their own, their own purposes. If you wanna be successful, how is it that you would be more successful by hiring second and third tier people because you're afraid of them? It, it's, it's not logical and, and, they, and, and they understand that, which, which gets to the, 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 the second point. Uh, which, which is more of a psychological one, perhaps. And that is that uh, super bosses, uh, they're, they're confident. I mean, let's face it, they are, they're actually not that worried that they're going to be outshone by somebody else. They might, but they, they don't worry about it. Uh, uh, they have such tremendous self-confidence themselves. And they know that what they have done uh, uh, at any stage in their career is meaningful and important. But they also know that their pace of learning at, at whatever job it is that they're doing is, uh, is at a very, very fast pace. And so they, they're confident. They're, they're not worried. This is, this is like a big deal because um, you know, I, I know as your listeners think about their own boss right now or past bosses. What are they, what are they thinking about? Who was good and who was bad, which is by the way, a, an exercise I do um, in some of my workshops, you know, think about your past bosses and who were the best and who are the worst and why, why was it? And what did they do? Um, that you liked, what do they do that you didn't like? And you start to see the commonalities. And as, as people listen to that and think about that, they, I, I bet a lot of people will, will say, you know, it's insecurity that's the real killer. The boss that's insecure is going to be more likely to micromanage, is going to be more likely to um, not give you uh, the authority and responsibility that enables you to grow, to create the opportunities uh, for you. And the list goes on and on. And so, uh, self-confidence uh, uh, is important. This is kind of a funny thing also because, 
you know, you can go too far in the self-confidence scale, right? You you can become arrogant and believe you know more than everybody else. And so uh, you have to, you got to be careful about this. You can go too far on any, any great attribute, any great uh, leadership attribute that's important. Like, as I say now, confidence, you can go too far, but you can, you can probably go pretty fair distance uh, and not be, uh, you know, not be worried. It doesn't make you less of a team player either. In fact, people love to be, think about sports. Do you want to be around someone who thinks they're going to win? You want to be around Michael Jordan who knows we're going to, we're going to figure out a way to win or LeBron James. Of course you do. And so it's motivational in that respect as, as well. So those are really the, the two the two reasons why they're able to, to and go out of their way to find these types of people. They want to win. They want these, this great talent. They're not, they're not afraid. They're, they're super confident. Right. And I find this really helps explain why you call these kinds of leaders super bosses, as it seems almost contradictory in nature that the reasons super bosses are willing and eager to seek out people who are smarter, more creative, and more versatile than them is because, as you've said, they really want to succeed. And when these employees succeed, they by default see that success as being a reflection of themselves, which actually makes a lot of sense. After all, in many of my leadership keynotes, and even in my writings on leadership, I point out that leadership is not about you. It's about the people you lead. And yet there's some inspiration to be found there as well for other leaders to truly seek out people smarter and more creative than you, as ultimately your success as a leader is, in fact, defined by the success of your employees. And if they can achieve that level of success employees attain working for super bosses, that's certainly going to reflect well on your abilities as a leader. Yeah. And, you know, th- I mean, just this is another thing sometimes people are afraid of and they say, you know, why, why should I spend so much time trying to help people on my team get, get better? You know, they're just going to leave. They're going to just take off. And uh, again, the, the, the lack of kind of core logic to that, it's more of an emotional response, I think, than anything else. Uh, again, you know, you help people get better, you push them, you challenge them, you raise the bar for them. Of course, they're going to perform better. And of course, you're going to perform better. They're on your team. Uh, and, and, and that's like, to me, that's like arithmetic. That's one plus one equals three. It's, it's, that, uh, it's that straightforward. Uh, uh, but the other thing that happens, and you're alluding to this, is when you have people that have uh, been successful, that work for you, they have a great story to tell. People love to hear that story. And, um, uh, and the word starts to spread. And I've seen this in many, many companies already. When people start to get known as a super boss-like leader, uh, they, they become talent magnets almost. You know, where everyone's in the need, even, even today with the challenges that are going on in the, in the global economy and COVID, et cetera, there's still a tremendous need for great, uh, great talent. And if you become known as a place that, you know, if, if you work for me, your upside is just going to accelerate. Uh, I'm going to get people knocking on my door. And this is what I found with um, not just the super bosses that I looked at in the uh, research in the book, but as I've talked to and worked with many, many other people in, in the subsequent you know, couple of years, uh, they, they, they all have stories like that. that you know, I think you're much better off being the talent magnet than always being on the lookout for someone because nobody wants to work for you because you're the type that wants to grab all the credit or some other thing that uh, we see the worst leaders doing. Okay, Sydney, so let's assume our listeners are willing to accept making this change in their hiring practices and generally looking to hire those exceptionally creative and intelligent people to be part of their team. Now the question becomes, how do you make sure you're actually tapping into the full potential of these employees? And you actually have some interesting insights on how these super bosses are able to motivate their employees to not only deliver their best, but to even surpass what they thought they were capable of doing. 
In fact, there's a line in this chapter of your book that sums it up well, where you write how super bosses understand that what's critical to encouraging employees who are self-motivated to deliver their best is not just having engaged talent, but what you call energized, supercharged talent. So once we bring on board these unusually intelligent, creative, and highly adaptive employees, how do we empower them to be supercharged and energized? What's the lesson we need to learn here from these super bosses? You know, there's uh, there's a lot of things they do, of course, but if I were to uh, kind of highlight what's at the top of that list, it's uh, it gets the, we're talking about motivation, right? We're talking about how do you motivate great talent? And the, the secret to motivation is doing two things that um, um, are not always done by most bosses. Um, some, some will do one, some will do the other. Um, in my experience, many uh, are not able to pull off both of them, but, but it's certainly possible. And those two things are first, uh, challenging, pushing, um, raising the bar on people, creating a culture of high expectations, a performance-driven culture. It's a place where doing work that's good enough is not good enough. Uh, it's, it's, about, uh, it's an expectation that you're really going to make a difference, that you're really going to be able to accomplish whatever it is, whatever that job happens to be, and that that's, that's what you're preaching. That's what you're saying. And uh, I, I found, and probably a lot of your listeners have found as well, that when you ask for, say, average performance, uh, maybe you'll get average performance. Uh, but you won't get excellent performance by very, I mean, very, very few people. If you ask for excellent performance, not everybody will hit it, but you'll get more people that will hit it because they know you care. They know you want, you want this and, uh, and they're going to, not all, but many will rise to that occasion. And that just improves the overall uh, performance uh, profile of the whole, of the whole team or the whole, the whole organization. So the first thing you do is you, you raise the bar in terms of expectations and performance and, and, um, and then the second thing you do is, is a little different because it gets a bit more at the emotions of being a boss and a leader. And that is um, you, you inspire them. You inspire them to believe that they're the ones that can get it done. You inspire them to believe, you know, you're, you're on my team and, and you're on my team for one reason, because I know you are great and that you have unbelievable potential and I'm gonna create that opportunity for you to fulfill and even surpass that potential. And you inspire them in, as well, sometimes through the vision that you, uh, uh, that you set for your, either your whole organization, your whole company, or even your own, your own team. And it's this inspiration thing that, uh, you know, often you don't see it. Uh, I, I have found that uh, most people understand that say the CEO or the head of a, of a big business or, or, you know, division general manager, uh, that they, that inspiration could be important for them. But somehow a lot of bosses, even first line, uh, and maybe even especially first line managers or middle managers, they don't realize that in fact, um, those same skills and those same managerial and leadership um, uh, mindsets and approaches are just as important, if not more important for them. And the job of any boss, of, whether you have one person or a hundred people or thousands, uh, is to inspire those people to believe that there's nothing they can't do, to instill that sense of confidence. And again, I go back to, you know, I go back to where, where we're at in, in a world of, uh, of COVID and recovering with COVID. And you think, wow, there's a lot of people that are down. There's a understandably so. And this is a place where uh, raising them up and, and, and inspiring them in the way that I'm describing is going to make a very big difference. And so how do, you, how, do you, how do you 
kind of motivate people to do to get to this level. It's this combination. It's not one or the other. It's it's raising the bar and, and in terms of expectations performance and it's inspiring people to believe that they are the ones that can not just pass that bar or surpass that bar, but even do even do more than that. And that's that's the combination we saw that super bosses uh, brought brought to their work day after day. Now, Sydney, given how super bosses not only seek the best and brightest, but as you just mentioned, they're driven to get people to share their absolute best work because they create these expectations, but also communicate their belief in their potential to achieve this level of exceptionalism. It shouldn't be too surprising here that super bosses also excel then at the art of delegating meaningful work. But what's particularly interesting about the way super bosses approach delegation is how they seem to exist in the space between being an effective delegator and what we would consider a micromanager, where they both delegate meaningful work to their employees while at the same time being very involved in the details of that delegated work. So how does this work? How are these super bosses able to delegate work that not only empowers employees to grow and stretch themselves because of those expectations they put on them, because of that communicating, as you said, that vision of, I believe in your potential, I believe this is the kind of work you can accomplish, while at the same time keeping a close eye on what's going on and jumping in to make changes as they see fit. Yeah, you know, um, I think the key insight here is that delegation is not uh, a one, a one, uh, a, an only one way to do it. Delegation is actually a, compli- a complex. It doesn't just mean uh, giving assignments to people that work for you. I mean that's the simple way to look at it. Uh, but a, a kind of a more, a more complete and and I think meaningful way to look at it is well, you can um, you can delegate, and then you could be. Um, you could forget about it, you know, come back when you're done, show me, show me your work, which sometimes I get that. And I, I could see how that could, that could be relevant. But other times, and this gets closer to what super bosses will do, they'll use delegation as an opportunity, not just, of course, to be able to get the work to be, get the work done, uh, but as, a, as an opportunity to teach, um, to teach the people on their team how to be more effective at what they do. Because, you know, we started with this idea of that super bosses generate, regener- regenerate talent. They push people to a higher level. Well, they do it through delegation, uh, in part through delegation among, among you know, some of the other things we've been, we're, we're talking about. And so, uh, and it's a, you know, as you say, it's a, it's a tricky thing because you can go too far. Um, you could you could cross over into the uh, into the world of micromanagement, and nobody likes a micromanager. And and I think for the vast majority of super boss leaders, they they didn't do that. I mean, a mic- what what is a micromanager? A micromanager is someone who does your work for you, tells you exactly here are the five steps, do this in order, do it exactly this way, and leaves no room for creativity or, or learning. And super boss leaders don't do that. But they do and will appear sometimes unexpected, sometimes by design and, and by appointment, uh, to check in with you, to see how you're doing, and to push your thinking. Have you thought about this? You know so-and-so in this other department dealt with this issue, and you might want to reach out. And by the way, that'll help uh, expand your, your network here as well. I mean, go, there, you know, it's... It, it's almost unlimited what you can say to someone when you want to coach them. And, and better word, again, is what I said earlier, is teach them. It's not just, not just coaching, but you're, you're, you're using your, your, your experience and your knowledge to try to, stretch, uh, try to stretch people in the way that the best teachers are, are able to do. And so that's, uh, that's kind of the combination you see. Delega- I call it the hands-on delegator, which I think will give people a feel for what we're talking about. 
I think this is such an important perceptual shift in terms of how we view delegation from one where, as you said, handing out assignments. So we're making sure the work gets done instead teaching it into a teachable opportunity to help your employees learn and grow. And as you said, even expand their network within your organization, which again, leads us back to that initial fear that maybe a lot of leaders might have of hiring super talented people is, well, eventually they might leave because they'll outgrow what I'm capable of doing. But that's the whole point is that when others see them and they go off to work in other divisions, or maybe they go off to work on another company, their success is what's going to encourage other people to say, wow, this person really learned and grew and achieved such successes. I want to work under someone who can help me nurture and develop those skills and abilities as well. Yeah, I mean, you've said it. You said it exactly exactly right. It's this combination of um, of things that super boss leaders do that uh, that get people to to another. I mean, imagine what it's like to to have a tough assignment and to succeed at it and how that makes you feel. I mean, you don't have to imagine. Uh, uh, for many people, they've had that opportunity, sometimes as, as a kid or as a student or on a team, a sports team, uh, or, or at work. But what it does to you is really, really kind of a magical thing. Um, and and I, I often say, you know, people, and your listeners will, will, will connect with this, I think, right away. People that have had bosses that have done some of the things we're talking about now, uh, you know who they are. You you could see their face right now. You could picture them. You could see how they how they were not uh, they were not comfortable with you just kind of going through the motions. They didn't expect you just to kind of do okay. They expect you to be to be great. And uh, and when you when people have been fortunate enough to have bosses like that, uh, they um, they spread the word. They're loyal, as I said, and they spread the word, and it creates this kind of self reinforcing cycle where you keep getting this amazing talent coming to you. So, Sydney, I think it's become clear that super bosses are certainly an unusual archetype of leadership, but there's really some great insights and approaches we can glean from them for how all leaders can not only attract the best people, but motivate employees to go beyond what they think they're capable of to do their best work. Now, given how much of what we discussed can feel a bit foreign or outside the comfort zone of most leaders, What's one area of that super boss's playbook that can be a good starting point for leaders to really step up their leadership game? Yeah, there's. Uh, it turns out that there there are many many things that that you can do, and um, you know the book where the, the super boss's book that came out a couple of years after that, just last year I think, um, the super boss's playbook came out, which is loaded with exercises and practical steps that people could look at and, and, and give them 40 answers to that question. But I'll give you one that I have found to be really effective. And that is uh, you look at your team and again, you could have one, five, 10 people. Hopefully you don't have too many more that are direct reports uh, because that, get, that becomes unmanageable. But whatever the number is, you look at your team and you say, okay, let's spend a little bit of time one-on-one -on -one with each person not to tell them what to do, not to evaluate their performance, but to find out more about who they are. And hopefully you already know this. This is a step that's not necessary or barely necessary because you've spent the time and you've worked with people for you know, months or even years. But uh, whether you have or not, you can, you can still do this as a check-in. And what you want to know is, it's, I call it setting the ground rules uh, about how you want to work together, how people are um, 
how people can excel and what's the best way to figure out what that is, but also in terms of people's career aspirations. Not everybody wants to, you know, become CEO. Not everybody wants to make the sacrifices you need to get to the top of the heap. Some people are very happy doing what they're doing and just want to be respected uh, and want to be, um, want to have a voice in what they're doing. And others see their jobs as a springboard to something bigger and, and greater. And, but whatever it is, you want to know what that is for each person on your, on your team. And then you want to customize, and this is the key thing, you want to customize how you work, uh, how you work with them. And by customize, I mean it's not a one-size-fits-all. How you work with, uh, with Mary is not necessarily the same way that you might work with Elaine or that you might work with Tom. And, and the way you the uh, way you do this is you figure out what makes each person tick. What do they want? What are they looking for? What are their aspirations? Can you help them get there? And can, and, and can you figure out the best way to work, uh, to work uh, interactively? And this uh, process leads you to, to a bunch of very practical conclusions, such as, you know, is this somebody that could take on big opportunities? Uh, is he or she ready for it? Do they want that? Do I feel confident in them? Is this someone that I got to spend more time? You know, I mentioned teaching before. So do I need to spend a lot of time teaching? Is it someone that you know, really wants to be stretched? Everyone's a little bit different. Uh, find, out, find out what makes each, each person tick. And the only way you know that is by getting to know them and investing some time. And then you adjust how you work uh, and uh, how you work with each person. And if you think about it, uh, ma many managers do quite the opposite. You know, yeah, uh, just think about it. If you have a new manager, there's a team and they're getting a new boss. What, what are they talking about? They're going to say, what's, what's he like? What's she like? Uh, what are we going to have to do that's different? Right away, you're thinking about how you have to adjust and adapt to your boss. What the super boss leader will do and what anyone listening can do as well is that they could figure out how they themselves as a boss can adapt to the people on their team so that they can get the most out of uh, each of those members of the team so they could be more successful and so that and 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 that each person on that team can themselves advance them fulfill their own goals whatever they happen to be whether it's advancing their career or you know continuing to do what they've always done but being respected uh, for it that's that that's a technique if you will that uh, it takes a little bit of time but i could tell you that when you do it the appreciation level is pretty amazing. You know, uh, it's like in any situation, when you, when you take the time to get to know someone, to actually listen to someone, people, people respect that, people value that. And in this case, it's not just valuing it in a kind of interpersonal way, but they value it because it's, uh, it's gonna help them and it's gonna help you in, in getting the job done and advancing their careers. Sydney, I have to tell you, your book was not only a fascinating read to learn about this distinct leadership archetype, but I really enjoyed how you weave these stories as super bosses throughout your book to help us not only better understand what drives these kind of leaders, but also what important lessons we can learn from them to improve our approach leadership like the one you just shared with us. And most importantly, I think it's such an important message and certainly one that's worth repeating that the practices and approaches these super bosses employ are teachable. These are not innate skills. And as such, these are practices all leaders should consider employing in order to not only attract the best, but encourage all their employees to do their best work. So thanks, Sydney, for coming on my show to share your findings and insights. This was really quite interesting. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Tanvir, for inviting me. And I'm, I'm delighted to have the chance. An interesting and thought-provoking new model of successful leadership that 
If you're like me and have had the pleasure of working with some great bosses, sounded familiar and maybe even explained why these past bosses were able to inspire you to not only deliver your best, but who got you to believe that your potential is far bigger than you thought it could be. Now, if you'd like to learn more about Sydney's book, Super Bosses, or about his work, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tavernaseer.com slash LBC. And this episode has been brought to you by Tavernaseer Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both virtual and in-person leadership keynotes and corporate training events on a number of topics. To learn more about our work, visit our company's website at tavernaseer.com. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, I'd appreciate it if you could do us a favor and share it with your colleagues and online networks. The easiest way to do this is to simply direct people to our podcast page at tavernaseer.com LBC. There you can listen to every episode of our show, as well as find links to subscribe to our podcast on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Not to mention links to the show notes for all our episodes. Again, you can find all of that on our podcast page at tavernaseer.com slash LBC. And with that, I'm Tavernaseer, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe.